Oh, it's press box chatter in ten minutes or less. Oh, it's press box chatter with Rhino and the Birdman. Welcome to another episode of Press Box Chatter, everyone. We're pleased to be welcomed by PJ Stock, um, our second ever guest on the show. Uh, PJ is a former NHL player who played for the New York Rangers, the Boston Bruins, the Montreal Canadiens, and the Philadelphia Flyers. He's also part of the sport media industry, having worked on TSN 690 in Montreal, RDS, and Hockey Night in Canada. PJ, thanks for being here. We appreciate it. I want to know why I wasn't the first person on. Who beat me to this? Hey, we were, <laughs> we were in contact <laughs> with you for a while, I think. Yeah, I know. I, know. It's been, I got it. It's, I'm slow at this. I'm very slow at this. I got... Uh, Lockdown with four kids has been a disaster, and I was supposed to be a little earlier today too, but uh, just a disaster. But it's all good now. Spring's back where everyone's getting healthier. I'm happier, and I'm upset I wasn't the first person on. But let's go. Let's have a good one today. That's okay. Uh, well, if we have you know a thousand people on, you'll still be uh, in the top two. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So just before we kind of get going here, I want to tell you a little bit about. Uh, like the show that Ryan and I, um, that we do. So it's, it's called press box chatter and it's uh, it's a hockey podcast. We like to call it more of a show, uh, because it's, it's 10 minutes and it's scripted. It's, it's a pretty unique way that we deliver hockey, you know, news from the last week. Um, so we're two Ryerson sport media students. So we awesome. kind of know, we know a little bit about how to, you know, produce a, a pretty good quality show. We think we like, we like writing, we love hockey and we like to laugh. Usually at the other's expense, but <laughs> so, you know, we combined all three of these and formed into the podcast that we have now. Um, and we're starting to get a little bit of traction, gain a bit of traction. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the breakdown of what this show is. So that's this is what this is what we are. We like to do uh, this is the second time we've done it like a special kind of episode where we, you know, veer off from our usual format. and We try to interview somebody. So here we are today. I like the hockey podcast, and behind you, you have football and baseball jerseys. And basketball, like, too. And Is that Simmons over there and basketball? Yeah, yeah. I got Tatum yeah. right behind me. Yeah, all, yeah. all the sports. Yeah, that's good. It's well covered. Well covered. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, I mean, before we really get into all the questions, like, uh, how are you doing? How has your pandemic life been? Uh, what's going on in your world? Well, I, uh, I live in St. Lazar, just outside the western tip of Montreal, and it's it's going, you know, knock on wood, where everyone's uh, healthy and being locked down with four kids for a long time. It was it was it was fun for a family that's normally on the go all the time. You know, we had family dinners, we had uh, you know not family outings, but we did stuff in the house all the time, family games, board games, stuff that you would have never done, and and. and after a few weeks, I, I was loving it. The kids weren't, so it's been uh, it's been about eleven and a half months of them hating their father because dad wants to keep doing stuff. But it's been again, knock on wood, healthy family, a lot of healthy friends, and it's uh, the, the weather has been great during this entire craziness. And again, you know, it's there's there's you can always there's, you can look at the glass half full as, as as many ways as you want to it, or you can look at it half empty and. I look at it as a glass that just has some water in it, which is for me the the best way to look at things. So we've had a pretty good year. That's good. Well, that's good to hear. Um, so we want to get into your hockey career, obviously, a little bit here, and just hear about all the 
you know, fun stories, your fun, fun experiences you've had and, and your, your opinion on, on, on these questions. Um, you signed with the Rangers in 1997 and we just want to know, like, what was it like, um, you know, being an undrafted player in the NHL um, and being an enforcer in that? And what was the challenge um, you had in either like becoming an, affor- an enforcer? Were you trying to be one or was that something you just kind of fell into? Well, I'll give you a little bit of the trajectory on how I ended up there because, I mean, it's not something that anyone really plans to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a little bit of a, a, an offensive defenseman, funny enough. If you look at my stats in the NHL, you couldn't really tell. But a little bit of an offensive defenseman in, in Quebec Major Junior Hockey League in Victoriaville. And I, at the same time, I love the, the, the contact aspect of the game. I love the open ice hitting part of the game. You know, was, I was able to read the play. I wasn't really good, but I was able to at least read the play. So, you know, you go back to when I played junior and, and you know, I started in 97 to 95, 96, those times. There was a <laughs> hockey was pretty simple. You'd have a power play breakout where the defenseman would stop behind the net and one defenseman and their top player would swing like this, almost, you know, the two simple cones. And they'd go up the two wings and the defenseman would step out and always make the pass to the best player. It was just every team had the same breakout. And I would read that play and I'd skate a mile away and hit the guy elbows up, knees, you know, stick to anything different time. And, and back then different time was they would respond with someone to come after me for making that hit. It was teams had tough guys. They had role players. And you know, I come, someone would come after me and go to beat me up. I got beat up a couple of times. And then my coach decided to play a big, six foot four defenseman with me by the name of Matthew Rabby, who if, I love you, Matthew, for saving my life uh, for so many, so many games. So I, I didn't change my game. I actually got a little bit more confident because I knew that now I can get away with a little bit more stuff. So the offense, the, the offensive part of the game was still kind of there, but the physicality kind of picked up to another level, knowing that I had a layer of help. Well, the problem was we started playing teams that had two or three of these physical guys. And after one of them fought Matthew Rabby, well, the, I was still on the ice. They would send that next guy after me. So after getting beat up a few more times, I started to uh, uh, get the hang of it a little bit. And I think a lot of that uh, job is is confidence. And I, I did well in one, did well in two, did well in three. And, you know, a lot of people would look at tapes of how to do breakouts and stuff. I actually look at some tapes of I'm like, okay, this guy hit me. What went wrong? What went right? Uh, and I started learning a little bit about that part of the game, and it it helped me. And like I said earlier before, it became I became confident in that role. So, A, I could play the game one way, and then if I had to defend myself, I, I was getting better and better at defending myself. And then one game, I fought one of the, the, the tough guys in the league, and um, I did very well against them. And that's the pinnacle of confidence when you when you you know you, you can take on the Goliath, I guess, if you want to say it like that, and 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 it went well. So I just the problem is with with that is that uh, I, I wasn't good enough as a hockey player to go to the next level, but I was good enough in that type of role to go to the next level. Uh, despite my size, I was able to defend myself, and then fighting again was used for different reasons back then, you know, uh, intimidation, uh, get the cow, get, get the crowd going, get your team going, uh, defend a player, lots of different things. And it was more of a role and it just kind of something that people saw that I could do. I, I never thought the NHL would ever be a, a, a dream of mine or a moment that I'd ever have, but 
that funny enough route that I ended up using to survive to get me through junior ended up creating a role for me in the National Hockey League. And, you know, like I said, I wasn't drafted because I wasn't really good enough or big enough or fast enough or good. You know, the puck wasn't really my friend either, but I was able to develop into something by the time I was 20. You dropped around 17 or 18. By the time I was 20, that some NHL team said, like, hmm, maybe we can use this guy that can't skate, shoot, or pass for this. And uh, I was lucky enough to develop uh, into a pro hockey player a little bit in that role and have success in it. Mm-hmm. So was, uh, like, was your dream ever to, to make it to the NHL, or did you just happen to say, well, you know, I'm pretty good at, at this, and then – eventually like that was you know it was established in the in the league that that could be a role for you did you say okay i'll I'll go with this i was my dream was to play running back for the fighting uh the irish of notre dame the fighting irish that was my dream except for i didn't play football and uh <laughs> well it was just growing up you know um you know i'm 45 today but growing up every saturday you, you, you had college football. I mean, there wasn't even the amount of uh, TV channels that there are today. There wasn't many sports you can watch back then. You had the Canadians on, like, the Wednesdays and the Saturday nights. And you had Notre Dame football on, on Saturday during the day. And you had, like, the Giants football on Sunday. And that was kind of it for our, our, our sports world. And uh, I just, you know, I love that idea of the college sports. And th- that became my, my focus. I wanted to go to American University. And there were some players around me in our – in our, I grew up in the West Island, and players um, that Ryan Hughes, Kent Hughes, a family that went on to do amazing things, going to great schools like Middlebury and Cornell. And, you know, I don't know why there's so many amazing schools in Canada, but we got fixated on the American route, and that's kind of was at that time. And that was my dream. My dream was to go to an American university, and, you know, I don't know what the dream was after that, but the NHL was never in it whatsoever. Really, when did the, when did you start to realize that like the the NHL was a possibility? Like, how did teams approach you? And when they did approach you, um, like, what did they tell you your role would be? Well, they never really tell you your role. But I was again, I I only started playing major junior at nineteen, so most players are drafted at seventeen, eighteen. Mm-hmm. I was nineteen going into major junior, uh, and then at twenty years old, I had an opportunity to go to a training camp for the New York Rangers. And it wasn't, you know, I had a couple of training camps to choose from. Again, I, I knew what I was. I was playing in a league with a lot of first, first round players, second round players, NHL draft picks. And I'm like, they were amazing. Mm -hmm. I never thought of comparing myself to them. And I see these guys can't make, you know, the NHL teams aren't calling them up. They're still stuck in junior. I'm like, well, you know, this is, a little bit this is too far-fetched for me and in the meantime i agreed to go to because once you play junior in canada major junior in canada you're considered a, a a a pro because you get paid like 50 bucks a week it's not like you're getting paid but you can no longer go to an american university so i'd set my sights on canadian university i agreed to go to a school called saint francis xavier out east in, in nova scotia so that was my goal and when one of these nhl teams came knocking and they're like hey we'd love to have you at our training camp i'm like are they talking to me? You know, like, seriously? Uh, sure, but you know, no, I'm not going to make the team or anything, but I, I agreed to go to school. So 
I go to my first ever training camp. It was the craziest thing. Uh, I'm playing with the, it's the New York Rangers, and our uh, our camp was we had uh, two centermen on our team. There was you four. You make four teams, and they're all inner squad games. The first centerman was Wayne Gretzky on the team. I was the second centerman. So it was Gretz and I were double. I like to say we were double shifting, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of all we had. But it was just so surreal. And after a couple of weeks, you know, training camp, they start cutting players and they they, they go to put me in the minors. They go to cut me. You know, there's because there's players there that are draft picks. They have players that are in the American Hockey League and then they have a couple of walk-ons and I was a walk-on. And they actually go to put me in the minors for their next level of, of, of evaluating me. And I, the moment they went to put me in the minors, I'm like, Hey guys, thanks a lot. I'm going back to school now. Thanks for the experience and the opportunity. You know, I, I it was worth missing a couple of weeks of university to go, you know, try. It wasn't a dream, but it became a dream of, you know, even meeting, you know, Wayne Gretzky. I don't know if you can see his picture right up here behind me, but hanging out or his jerseys right here beside me. Uh, you know, give it a shot it didn't work out but it still kind of did work out i got you know go on the ice with the nhl team and meet wayne gretzky so i went back to st effects but before i went they they tried to sign me to a contract and i'm like remember that show punked with ashton kusher i don't yeah. know if you guys remember yeah i felt that was being punked like i kept looking around for like the cameras like, yeah they really is this really half like are you guys you know, anyways, so I, um, I finally, they, they sat me down. It was back then. We didn't have cell phones or anything. They sat me down in a room and they're like, we want you to sign this. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to school. They're like, no, 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 sign this. And I'm like, uh, mama, <laughs> how do I get out of this? You know, I'm, you think you're 20 years old, but you're got a little experience. And I was a little bit of a physical player that. But once the general manager sits you down and gets all business on you and says you're not leaving until you sign this, I, I can't text anyone. So you have to go to a payphone, use a quarter, and call home. So, anyways, I I, I got out of there and 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 uh, they just didn't want me to go to another organization at the time. I, I just wasn't ready to sign because I wanted to go to the school. Went home, uh, went to St. FX, and during that year, uh, during Christmas, they called back again and said, "Hey, PJ, we we'd be willing to sign you. We want you to come back." And then at the end of the year, it's when I made the decision that, heck, why not give it a shot? You know, I can always come back to university, but I don't know if at 27, the same opportunity is going to be there for me that there is right now at 2021. So that was my decision. And again, I never thought I'd play a day in the NHL. I thought I might have a chance of one day making the American Hockey League. And, you know, before you know it, a couple games in to the season, I was with the New York Rangers. How did... um? How did like your friends or people back at St. FX react to you saying, uh, you know, turning down the contract and going back to school? Were people going, you're crazy? Why wouldn't you sign with the New York Rangers? Or what well, was the reaction to that? For those that know me know that most of the time I'm full of shit. So they were like, yeah, yeah, right, PJ. They're really offering you a contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm always joking and pulling people's legs. And, and I wasn't a real good player either. And there was a lot of players that we did know uh, that were had good junior careers or might have played for t- you know, Team Canada back in the day, which, believe it or not, wasn't the Olympic team. It was a travel team. Um, you know, players that were had amazing co- uh, collegiate careers or played in Europe. I wasn't as good as almost any of them. And yet I'm the one that's getting an NHL contract. So 
you know, it, it was when they called around Christmas that we started to think about it. But it wasn't until the end of the school year where I really sat down with some friends. And at the time, guys, you got to think it was a dollar sixty on the dollar. So, you know, the money isn't the same as today. But let's say this was my NHL contract. The op- the offer that they gave me was three hundred thousand if I played in the NHL, thirty thousand if I played in the American Hockey League, and eighteen thousand dollars if I played in the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, in the second year, it would be three hundred and thirty thousand dollars in the NHL. Uh, it would be thirty-five thousand in the American Hockey League, and if I stayed the second year, I had a twenty-two thousand five hundred dollar signing bonus. So, worst case scenario, I played in the East Coast the first year. I was guaranteed the American League the second year, and my signing bonus it was a dollar sixty at the time. I'm thinking, worst case scenario, I walk out with seventy-five thousand dollars for a kid that's twenty-one years old back in the day. I can go to any university in Canada with $75,000 in my pocket and, and tried my dream. And if it didn't work, it didn't work, you know, but it was, it was, I was going to go down swinging and, and why not? That's more than a salary of most adults made back then. So it was worth, it, it was worth the risk. And, you know, I would have ended up and my friends would have been finishing university. I would have been starting. I would have been that far behind them. It would have been a two year gap. But the dollar sixty at the time, the American dollar and the experience was, it was hard because I, I was all in on the university thing. But I, if I think back to it, it was really a no brainer. Okay. Well, Did it's a no brainer ever... now because it worked. Yeah. I, got, yeah. I got jerseys behind me and my shot with Gretz. And the, but but at the time, you're risking <laughs> a lot. You know, you're yeah. risking you know playing college hockey, the situation that you're in, a, a lot of things. You can get injured, um, but. It, it was, you know, it's when you're getting paid a dollar to a dollar sixty, and and having mm-hmm. a chance to to play pro hockey, it, it worked out. I was lucky. Just quickly, did you ever get any clarification on why they called you back? Because like, just you seem to have been very surprised they even offered you anything. Did you know uh, like why they were so like, stu- or not stuck on you, but why they kept calling you? Uh they just needed a player like that. Okay. In the organization like me, I guess, you know, you, 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 you draft, you know, if you look at the Montreal Canadians right now and to bring it back home or the Leafs or whatever, you, you, you draft every year and you hope these players are going to make it at 17. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then you keep them in your organization for a few years and well, if they're not what you want by the time they're 20, you don't sign them or you sign them to an American league hockey league contract where they start at 20 to 22, 23, and you hope they grow into what you want. But let's say the Montreal Canadians, they haven't been able to draft a center in the last 15 years. That's been able to step in for them. If you think about it. So here's a guy that I would have been back then a, a fourth line center that played the role. Cause I could, they didn't, they weren't able to draft someone in that. They were able to draft wingers, offensive centers, they were able to draft penalty killers. They weren't able to, uh, they thought th- they don't have to waste a draft pick on me. They didn't really give me a contract. They were, they, they were really losing too much money over, let me tell you that. And, and it was a, um, a role that they thought that I could potentially fill because as their team was progressing during the year, they thought their organization, not the Rangers, but their American League team too, needed that position filled. 
So when did you say, well, like, when did you eventually say, all right, like, uh, I'm going to do this. It's, it's time to, you know, sign the contract and make it to the big leagues. Well, make it to the big leagues. I didn't really know. I think that was, I like the way that sounds. Uh, I, it was in the summer. I, you know, I don't have the actual date. I was playing golf, which in a way I agreed to it. Uh, you know, it was going back and forth and over pennies. Like when you look at the money and it's still amazing considering my mom was a nurse and busted her hump every day. And, uh, you know, I walk in and if I ever played for the New York Rangers at that time, it's 300,000 back then I, in the American hockey league, it was 30, but 30 us, you know, times it by a point and a half. So that's called 45, 48,000. Um, you know, a nurse back then that busted their hump every day was making less than that. So, you know, uh, I was, I was, I don't remember the exact spot I was, but I remember my family and I being pretty crazily excited. It's so different too, because, you know, we didn't have cell phones. Like, you know, how do you, how do you get a hold of someone? Someone comes out, tells you to go back here. You got to go back and go there. And uh, how do you call this person? How do you get a hold of that person? And, and a lot of ways to make the pass the message and decision-making, but mm-hmm. it, it was a big day in the stock household. When you did eventually get a start, when you eventually started playing a few games in the NHL and over your career, like what would you say was the most memorable uh, story you have from your career? Um, Ted was telling oh, us geez. there was this one story you you talked about about lining up next to Yager and he um, he asked uh, he told you you can get like Mario Lemieux's contract or autograph. No, or yeah, no, there's I mean, there's a ton. There was every story was a game. I mean, every game was a story. You know, I'm looking around. I'm in my basement. I've got pictures all around everywhere of some of the names that I grew up idolizing. You know, you're watching on TV and then you're out there playing against them. Where I, you know, my first two centermen in New York were uh, Wayne Gretzky and Pat Lafontaine. Not a bad two to play behind. And every night, you know, you're playing against Iserman, Fedorov, McGilney, uh, Sackick, Forsberg. You know, it, it was, it was Pavel Bure. It was, it was, it was crazy. Um, but, no, there's tons of stories that I could go on. You know, they're talking about the one with – there's two stories. I'll give you two with Pittsburgh because both with Pittsburgh. Uh, one was a funny one was uh, – this one happened first, but I'm uh, – I, I used to play a lot in junior and in the American Hockey League. And when I got called up to New York, I was fit into that role of the fourth line. I don't want to use the term you said enforcer before because – I'm 5'10 and couldn't kick my way over a wet paper bag. So enforcer doesn't really, <laughs> we're going to go with energy player. Okay. So um, anyways, we're, we're uh, in the American league. We're playing a bunch and I get called up to New York and Darren Langdon and the trainers used to always, you know, tap me on the shoulder because I take my mouth guard out. I put it in my glove. You know, I kind of undo my helmet because I, I wouldn't play much. You'd get six shifts a night. You know, five shifts a night, some like four shifts a night. And you'd sit there like the game was a lot slower and there was more whistles and everything back then. Remember there was a red line. Uh, so it was just way different. Um, and the, 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 so the top players can play a lot more. And whenever they called up the fourth line, sometimes Gretz would stand up and that would mean uh, stalker, your line's not going. So the guys would always tap me on the shoulder and be like, you know, as if the coach came by and touched me. So I quickly put my mouth guard in, put water on my arms, and I used to put water on my face, and I'd go to stand up. And then 
I'd look over at the coach and he wouldn't even be talking to me. So I, guys would be, you know, busting my ass all the time. I always, I caught Darren Langdon doing it a few times, you know, game after game. So then they got the backup goalie in on it. And then they had the trainer on it. Like I'd get ready 15 times a game to get a shift and it never happened. So one night we're, uh, we're playing in, in, in Pittsburgh uh, and uh, Darian Kasparitis kept going up behind Gretz and knocking Gretz's helmet forward, just being an ass, you know, like just doing what he had to do to get Gretz off his game. But back then, you know, you know, if you're going to, he used to play with Semenko, they used to come over and clobber you over the head. We didn't have a Semenko in New York. So, but he kept, you know, hitting Gretz, hitting Gretz, hitting Gretz. So I remember coach yells out, Gretzky, Sundstrom, Stock. <laughs> and I'm and I'm saying to myself, such bullshit. The guys now even have the coach on it. Like the guys even have the coach on it bugging me that I'm going up. So I'm not falling for this one because it's been like three games in a row. They've been tapping me and I haven't been moving. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, Gretzky, Sundstrom, Stock. So I just keep sitting there. You know, I sip out of the water bottle. He comes down, looks at me and yells in my ear, uh, Colin Campbell, Gretzky, Sundstrom, Stock, are you ready? Can you get ready? So anyways, so I quickly water on my face. I try to wake up. I've been asleep for like a period. I jump on the ice and I'm lined up. It's uh, uh, Lemieux, Straka, Francis. And um, Yager, no, Lemieux, Straka, Straka, Francis. And I'm lined up beside uh, Rod Francis one of the nicest, best players to ever play the game. And Gretz looks over at me and says, whispers to me, no penalties. And I'm like, what? What do you, I just, like, what do you mean? That's all I'm good at, Gretz, you know? So anyways, <laughs> I, I don't say anything. He just looks at me and whispers, I'm so nervous. Like, I can't feel my legs, can't feel my arms. And Ron Francis looks over at me, hey, kid, if you ever want to play with that guy again, I suggest you take no penalties. So I'm like, now my arms are numb. My legs are numb. This is how smart Wayne was. So Kasparitis was playing the left point. All right. So I'm playing right wing on this line right now. Wayne Gretzky lets their centerman win the puck. So it goes defense to defense. So Kasparitis can get the red line to jump it in, to dump it in. So he knows it's going to go boom, boom. And I'm going to catch him over here. So I get over there. And as Kasparitis shoots the puck like this, I come in and I cross check him right in the ribs. Um, and I'm the ref, it was dirty. It was the time, but because everything that had been going on and the guy was, you have to love, if you played on your team, you loved him. But if you didn't play with them, you hated Casparitis. He was one of those players. So the ref let me get away with one because the guy was knocking Gretz around the entire time. But after that second, it was, I was, I just wanted to get off the ice. I was so nervous, but now the pucks in our zone. And Gretz doesn't play defense or come in our own zone. So I'm playing right wing center. I'm so nervous. I'm like, someone take me off. Anyways, uh, that was my first shift with Gretz. But the story you're talking about with Lemieux, uh, I was in uh, the Flyers organization and we're playing now against uh, Pittsburgh. And it's we're the fourth line and it's Todd, uh, Todd, sorry, Peter White, another guy from Montreal, Todd Fedoric and myself. And we're playing against, this is hilarious, we're matching lines against Yaramir Yager, Mary Lemieux, and Kevin Stevens. So Kevin Stevens had played with the Flyers before in New York, so I knew, I knew Kevin. And, uh, and Kevin was a, was, a, was a great man and a good friend. 
And what happened was Kevin's on the left, Mario's at center, and Yager's on the right wing. So Yager, we're in their zone, and Yager has to catch a rim around pass on his on his offhand. So he's got to reach back and look like this. And while he does, my buddy Todd Fedork, we'd call him the fridge because he was 6'1, 250 pounds, just crushes him, crushes Yager. And Kevin comes in and everyone starts fighting and starts coming in. And Kevin doesn't want to fight anyone because he's good, good friends, but he has to defend Yager. And now Yager is trying to get up and I'm holding on a Yager stick. Like this is how guys that don't fight are just kind of lost. I'm holding on a Yager stick as Yager's trying to get into the melee. All he has to do is let go of his stick and he can go. But I'm like swinging him around because he won't let go of his stick. So Mario comes over nicely and grabs me by the arm and goes, hey, kid, leave him alone. If you're nice, I'll even maybe have him sign it for you after the game. And it's like one of those, it's like when the superstars come over and they talk to you like you're just a kid and should not be here, like, I'm like, okay, Mr. Lemieux, I'm sorry. And you <laughs> yeah. just kind of skate, you just kind of skate away. So yeah, there were some, there's stories every night. It was just uh, an amazing experience that I was lucky to live. Were, were there moments where you ever like, like starstruck? Like in that instance, like you have Mario talking right to you, you know, like were there moments where you were in, I'm sure when you got to New York, were you starstruck that, you know, you had Wayne Gretzky right there on your team? Were there yeah, moments was- like that? Every night, like my first two years, I mean, I'm playing against, you know, I remember battling with Ray Bork, you know, uh, in the corner. I remember um, one of the coolest moments is we're in uh, Detroit in the old, the old rink, which was so loud. And I'm on the ice against Fedorov, Iserman, Shanahan, Lidstrom, and uh, I forget there's a Russian defenseman, the fourth. I mean, and my coach is screaming at me, like when the fourth line, and the home team has the last change. And back then, they, used to, they still kind of do it today. The fourth line was kind of the energy tough guy line. We weren't the best skaters. So when the other team had last change, they would sometimes load up almost like a power play to get out there against the, the crappy skaters. Anyways, one night I'm stuck out there against this, you know, I used to play these guys in Sega. Like, this is how it's like, I, I got the Detroit Red Wings now, like I've been, and, and here I am on the ice against them. And, and it was just like, it was, you know, lined up against Brett Hall, um, lined up. I remember one night I'm uh, coming up through center ice and Madano. I used to love Madano because his jersey used to flap. He used to fly. If you remember Mike Madano in his old Dallas days, his jersey would flap. So anyways, he's coming up at center ice full speed at me and I kind of go left and I, I kind of put it under. I don't ever try to deke anyone out ever. I just chip it and go. This night, for some reason, I had a brain cramp and I went to deke him out. Anyways, it worked. And I got the puck, passed him, and I went. I like looked around, like, did anybody else just see that? Did anybody else just see that? It was like one of those so cool moments that my whole bench was yelling at me. Woo! Then I get back, and the coach said, do not ever do that again. Uh, But like, I had some. You know, I played for the Canadians. Uh, I got a cool picture of, you know, shaking hands with Saku. Um, you know, just tons of playing at MSG. Uh, you know, again, I was a nobody. And uh, moments in your career we can remember, again, being in that fourth line pugilistic role that, you know, and playing with so many great players. It was the first time I, in, uh, I was fighting Chris King, pictures up top uh, at MSG. 
and uh, the the rink starts chanting my name, and it was just surreal. You know, you're a you're a first year kid, and mind you, the name PJ wasn't that hard to say, but it was just kind of every night was kind of like I wanted to take pictures back then. I wish I had a camera on me because I would have had one like in my jersey every time I would have went for a face off. Like, uh, hey. Pavel Burry, just lean forward over here so I can get a snapshot that I'm on the on the ice with you. Uh, hey, Peter Forsberg, uh, Sackick, do you mind if I just like, you know, you know, Wendell Clark? There's so many amazing players, so many amazing players. That I, I funny, I used to play with them with Sega. Or like my favorite player was Jeremy Roenick growing, not Jeremy Roenick, uh, Chris Chelios growing up. I'm playing against Chris Chelios. You know, it was like playing. I he he. When I played street hockey. I was Chris Chelios or Wayne Gretzky, mm-hmm. and, and and now you're playing with Wayne Gretzky against Chris Chelios. Wow. Like it was, it was it was pretty awesome. And I wish I can remember every team had superstars. I I'm, I, I can go around. You know, Felix Potvin over there. Uh, you know, even names that were great, but you look at. Uh, you know, Andre Markov had an amazing career with the Montreal Canadiens. Um, and just, there's a lot of, Rob Ray beat me up a whole bunch of times. You know, there's there's some really cool moments that I was lucky to have. Was there a best, uh, was there like a best building you played in? I All of them must have been so different, but. Yeah, they're oh. all different. Um, I love playing in Boston. Like I love playing in Boston. I hated playing in the Bell Center for two reasons. Uh, a, when I played for the Montreal Canadiens, I was so nervous. I, I, I don't know if I can explain to you how nervous I was, uh, but I was just playing for the Canadiens, signing with them with a dream come true, and then it just wasn't everything that I wished for. And part of it was I didn't deliver on how I could play. Uh, but part of it was I was so nervous. I'd look up and know, I don't know how many people in the, in, in the crowd. You just know everybody. And then again, as I said before, I wasn't really that great with the hockey part of the game. So, you know, it's you make mistakes. And then you, you come back and obviously you just sit there and you look up and you kind of see people, your friends or family just shaking their head. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's but that was playing for it, playing against it. I hated it because, man, that building got rocking. Like, when that building gets going, it is deafening. Like, it is deafening. Um, MSG, I was lucky. I played I played some of the best rinks. Uh, they were my home rinks. Philadelphia, the Spectrum, and uh, their, their newer rink after that was just, you know, I love the blue-collar towns. I just love the blue-collar towns. The fans that go to games have too much to drink, cheer on their team. It's their it's their way out of their hard day at work and they come in and they live and breathe through their team's success or lack of sometimes. I've heard that um, like some fan, my dad last night, for example, he told me that uh, some like Rangers fans are kind of next level. Um, he told me a story of uh, it was Dave Poulain. Um The Flyers goalie had just passed away that the 26 year old, I forget his name now. Uh, but yeah. he passed away in that in a car accident. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, then um 
one of the Rangers fans looks over to Poulain and he goes, hey, Poulain, like, uh, he says the kid's name, like, he's dead, he's dead, like, stuff like that. Like, uh, did you ever have any encounters with fans where it was kind of crossing yeah. the line? I'm actually, you know what, it's not even doing justice. I can't believe I can't. Pelly Lindbergh. Pelly Lindbergh. Yes. Uh, yeah. Alfie, yeah, terrible story. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, fans are nuts. Like, like they're, you can't just say New York fans. I played for the Canadians. Like, I live in Montreal. Montreal is one of the worst. When, when I was, when, when it was the playoffs were going on, like, and it, the, the media fuels a lot of these fans too in all those cities. Philadelphia is nuts. Like when I was playing, I was coming in with the Boston Bruins um, playing against the Canadians. One of the French stations was saying stuff about my family. Like just, really? like, it's just, it's, it, you know, and that's kind of, it's funny, accepted in the sports environment. Like people are nuts. The old Philly uh, football stadium, don't know the name of it, but let's call it the Philly football stadium just so I sound smart. Yeah. Uh, they had a prison underneath it because that's what a, a game in Philly was like. I, I haven't really, again, I was really lucky to uh, play in a lot of the Northeast teams. So I can only kind of tell you about their fan groups. The Bruins fans who I, I'm, you know, I'm a super proud Bruins alumni, still good friends with their organization, uh, have a great relationship with their fan base. They're nuts. Like they, they, they're that blue collar city that love to get shit can and get into a fight in the stands. You know, that's, that's kind of what it is. It's kind of, um, it's that environment that, you know, it's, and unfortunately a, a lot of fans in, in different cities are racist. Um, they're, they say a lot of, mean things and it as it as a player on the team you can't pick who's representing your team as a fan right. you know like the new york right dave pooling is talking about the rangers organization that that fan the, the rangers aren't proud of that but the guy paid a ticket he goes to the game and these people get so wired up sometimes that they don't think you know i just now it's they they don't they used to have to vent that way now they vent on twitter or they vent on uh on, on any media outlet, whether it's writing a blog or whatever, it was, it was just different times. People said stuff because they can get away with it. And now mm. there's, you know, on the ice, I, I don't want to just make it sound like the fan on the ice guy said stuff that you, I couldn't believe you guys would say stuff about family. There were some guys that just went too far and it is what it is. You can't fix stupid. Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit here and ask you about your opinion on on some stuff happening in the NHL today. Um, one of them is about Tim Peel and what happened with him and managing the game and all that. And I just want to know, like, if I can get, you know, wh what do you think about the whole thing? What are your experiences like with the refs in the NHL? And um, what do you think about the situation? First off, sorry guys, I'm drinking 9,000 glasses of water before I, I'm, I had to get my car this morning. I was by myself, so I had to run about uh, five, six miles to pick it up. Uh, and my body is not made to run more than two miles. So I'm drinking about 18 gallons of water trying to keep myself going here. Um, the Tim Peel situation is really unfortunate. Uh, it's what happens when you have humans repping sports. I understand it. I really don't know what had happened previous in that game. But, you know, did he call the penalty to cool the team down? Did he call the penalty to 
cool the ref down. Again, I'll go back to Wayne Gretzky because he's my favorite human and player of all time. So Gretz, you know, used to, believe it or not, yell at referees. I know you're going to think, wow, Wayne Gretzky, you know, would yell at referees. And now the next time over an offside, like this is what I yell at my team and parents for when I help coach. Why are you going to yell at an, about an offside? Have you ever seen the refs ever get together and say, that's not an offside. Keep playing. Just keep playing, everybody. No, it's, it's just why. And I, I remember repping a, an alumni tournament final. Not alumni, sorry. A charity tournament here in Montreal. The final game. And I'm repping the game. And I'm a better skater than everyone on the ice. And I understand the rules better. Not to sound too cocky, but I, I get it. Like, I know what I'm doing. And the guy's yelling at me and telling me to F off. And, like, I'm so stupid. And, and I'm like. I want to go around and punch them all in the head, but you know, you're in this position. Now I, I, and I thought back to when I played and, and guys would say things to the referees, like no one, every sentence to a referee starts or ends with F you, you know, it's just kind of, it's crazy. It, that's so you take that in and they're human sooner or later. I know you're, you think people are robots or people watch hockey players and think they're robots and no one has a heart or feelings. Well, they do. And I'm going to say Gretz, but it happens to, just because he's a story and the jersey's right there in the picture. But Gretz says something. Gretz says something. You think next time Gretz steps on the ice, they're going to give Wayne Gretzky a penalty? No. The next time a third or fourth line player gets on the ice and does something a little bit off, they're getting a penalty. Because it's just their way of, Trying to fix things and even things, lower the temperature of things, it's not right. The optics of the Tim Peel thing are awful. Um, but the NHL wants everyone mic'd up. The NHL wants everyone to get that inside taste. You just got the inside taste. And guess what? It's not always fun down there on the ice. We all know what happens. We it, It's kind of normal. You know, some... I've always been saying there's two sets of rules for two players. Tom Brady's a great, great example. Wayne Gretzky's a great example. The best of the best, they get the benefit of their call of the calls sometimes. Fourth line players, third line players don't always. There's one rule book. It should always be called the same way. Yeah. But referees interpret the rule at the time and at the moment, at the speed, what their thought process is, where everything is at that moment. And that's human nature. Yeah, Tim Peel, the optics are terrible. Have I been there and seen it before? Yes. Do I understand it? I was refing that charity game. I didn't want to give them all penalties. I wanted to punch them all out. So I get it. I do get it. But the optics are just terrible. Do you think mm -hmm. that uh, a guy like McDavid will get, over the span of his career, will get treatment like Gretzky did? Where he'll kind of have, it'll be a little bit of like a, you know, a looser leash per se? McDavid should be suspended for the elbow he threw the threw the other night against Kokanemi. That was I, my next question. Yeah, go, yeah, he, they do get away. Listen, Wayne didn't really ever have to do stuff like that because he had guys that protected those type of players. There's there's no longer Dave Semenko's in the league um, for many reasons. A lot, a lot of these players now. The game has changed a little, and the whacking, the you know, it, it accumulates over the time. And 
sooner or later you, you snap. And McDavid snapped. But again, I go back to this one rule book. There's not one. There's actually two. There should be one because it's only written one way. But it's how the league interprets things and protects their players. And the NHL PA protects their players. And, you know, McDavid's the biggest name in the game. Do you want him suspended? No. But does every third and fourth line player want him suspended? Every player that's been suspended want him suspended? Yeah. He just snuck up on someone and elbowed him in the face. If, if Tom Wilson does that, is that a suspension? But if McDavid does it, is it, is a, uh, is it a suspension? Or is it a major? Or, you know, there's a lot of what-ifs there. But, yeah, the league has to protect its superstars. At the same time, you have to find a way to, to regulate everything the same way, which is very hard to do, which is very hard to do, which I completely understand. Okay. Well, Another... what, I'll ask you guys a question because you guys are asking me all the damn questions. Let me ask you. <laughs> Well, what's your thoughts on McDavid? You know, what do you guys, both of you, what do you guys think of the McDavid uh, elbow? And do you think it it should be a five? Should it be a two? Should it not be called? Is it merited because he got slashed earlier from Kokanyemi? I personally think that it's, uh, I personally think it's a one game suspension at the very least. But like you said, like there's so much, um, there's so much stuff that goes into suspending a guy like McDavid. Like it's more than just hockey. It's it's business too, to a certain extent. I feel at least that you know if you take him out of a game, um, I feel like I feel like that's a big deal. Whereas taking a third or fourth line player out of the game is, well, like like business speaking, I I just think like it's not as big of a deal. Like McDavid's your star player, but if we are judging it based on like we should have like these rules apply to everyone absolutely should be suspended. Like you said, if some guy, if, if, you know, if Tom Wilson does that is a suspension, absolutely. It's a suspension. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's, I, I, I think like in a, in a perfect world, it's in a perfect world. It is a suspension, but there's a lot more to take into account than just, than just that. So Sam, let me just change it on you then. Um, yeah. how about like, you know, the the business side of things and fans want to see them. And, you know, there's two sides of thinking to everything. What do you think about teams resting star players? Cause then you have the fans that, you know, when you pay for a ticket, you, you pay for, you know, premium game or I think there's medium game. I don't even know if there's a bottom game, but I know there's two different variant prices depending on what team is coming to town with what players. What do you think of when, you know, they sit Carey Price or the Capitals sit Ovechkin? How often do they do that, though? Because I haven't, like, I don't know about that that much in hockey as opposed, I know it happens in basketball, but I haven't seen that in um, in hockey. Like, the price yeah, thing it, is... It, 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 it happens. It happens. It, happens uh, it will happen more towards the tail of the season, depending on where teams are positionally uh, that's one thing um it happened for you know Ovechkin sat a couple you know people argue that Carey Price should play every home game because he's you know he's the he's the face of the organization then when he goes on the road he's not playing as much but then you got these other teams complaining that the Canadians best player that we're paying premium uh dollar for isn't playing 
Well, I, so, I, that's happened to me a bunch of times because um, I used to live in the West Island, but now I live in Toronto and my dad and I head out to Buffalo to watch a couple of games. We, we've done that. And um, I think we've gone three times and twice Carey Price hasn't played and I'm a goalie. So like, I love watching him play. And it, th- that's been very, like, that's very frustrating. Right. Um, and it's not, it, it, I think, you know, it's not even that it was a back-to-back night. It's just like he didn't right. play that night. Sure. So, you know, as a fan and we're, we're paying, you know, a fair bit of money for the ticket. It's very frustrating. Cause we know if you're in Buffalo, you're not going to watch the Sabres play. Yeah. We all know sure. that. Oh, yeah. Man. What a mess. What tonight, a mess. They could, they could beat that streak tonight. What a mess. Crazy, I feel, I, and they have a lot of good players. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not as if they, it's not as if they have bad players. It's they have, they have a former MVP of the league on their team. You know, they have a, a, a great nucleus. Problem is they, they have a, a losing mentality and a losing core with, with, with a lot of negative energy. So, mm-hmm. but still, eight, what is it, 18 in a row? Are you 18, kidding me? 18. 18. 18. Like, 18. And 18. I, think they've, I think they've collected a point in like two or three of those 18 games. The rest yeah, have been all regulation losses. Yeah, it's just, it's unacceptable. And, and it's not so much about losing, it's the way you lose. Yeah, they lose ugly. Yeah, well, God, they did you see ugly. how they lost that last game? Yeah, fires. They're down. They're up three zero with a period to go, and the first goal kind of sums up. Shot off a leg, off a post, off the back of the goalie, off his glove, and in. That makes yeah. it three one, and then start the train because then yeah. you know if you get one against Buffalo, you're getting four. I so, was watching some. I was watching something on Twitter, and it was I think it was like Craig Button who just came on, and he's like. Not only are they losing, they're finding new ways to lose every single night. Which yeah, is just... it is. And it comes from a lot of, I think, their leadership core isn't willing to make the sacrifices to win. And you can say whatever you want, but the same thing happened in Edmonton when they gave the keys to the city to to Taylor Hall, Eberly, and um, the third one that's still actually in Edmonton New right Jean-Hopkins. now. New Jerhawkins. You don't give this. You, you don't to a bunch of kids. They're kids. I was, I was twenty. You know, it's you're not ready to be the face of an organization. Skill set wise, you are, but when you come in after a period and everyone's looking at you to speak and say stuff, you know, they gave the seat to Crosby because he was yeah the future. They still had guys like Recky, Billy Garen, Mario Lemieux. Uh, you know, I think Paul Coffey might have been there during that time. You know, like yeah, put the C on them. You know, I played with Joe Thornton, was our captain in, in Boston. But we had Sean O'Donnell, Don Sweeney, Brian Ralston, Rob Zaminer. Uh, we had players that have been captains everywhere else with other organizations that were around him. In Buffalo, they just gave, took a kid who had a good collegiate career, threw him in, gave him all this money, and said, here, you're the man now. And I don't think he knows how to win yet. I don't think he knows how to win or, or make the sacrifices to bring everyone around you into that fight with you. How do you convince these guys that we got to change the way to play to, to get dirty wins? You need a win. Now, Jack, I know Eichel's not playing right now because he's injured. Um, and funny enough, Taylor Hall, who I said was part of that issue, that issued team, not issue, he was the, the issue, part of the issued team back in the, the Oilers when they first started that whole thing. Um, he's there now too. And he's got two goals, three goals on the year. Yeah. yeah. That's what I get in a year. 
That's why I get, <laughs> I get, I get one. But still, I, you know, over accumulated over a couple of years. So well, Sam and I were talking about in our in our podcast. We made a joke about the Taylor Hall curse. Like, who's going to acquire him next at the trade deadline? And it's just crazy to see that every single team he's gone to, they've been in contention for the number one overall pick. Like all those years in Edmonton, they were they were one of the. They, yeah. um, I don't know how many times he got the number one pick. Three times. It was then, almost five in like eight years or something like that. Yeah. Was, they had Yakupov, uh, Taylor Hall, was Eberleo, no, Nugent Hopkins. I forget. They had they had McDavid too, obviously. I don't think McDavid. that was necessarily – I think Taylor Hall may have been traded just before that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I then New Jersey had the number one overall pick. Jack Hughes. Yeah, and uh, now maybe Buffalo. Yeah, it is pretty <laughs> – and and that's also a guy that won MVP of the league, if I remember correctly, when he was in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, it's it's that's the other thing. With the people that pick the awards, I don't think they really do due diligence either. So that's a story for another day. I won't go down that road. But, um, anyways, what else? What else we got, guys? Who else? Are we are we gonna well, fix the world today? We got some notes actually about fighting, because okay. there's a lot more of it. This year, I well, personally, I found that I've seen a lot more fights this year. There's an average of 21 fights per game so far this... Well, hold on. No, that doesn't no, no. make sense. That, that, that's a lot. That's old school. <laughs> that's a lot of fights. Yeah. No, so there's been 116 fights this year. Over, like, I think 546 games have been played. Um, last year, there was only 195 fights. So uh, the pace right now that's at, there's going to be more fights this year than last year. But fighting has gone down in previous years. So what do you make of like, you know, we, you got into a few tussles in your day. What do you make of fighting in the game? How do you like, how do people use it as a strategy? Like, can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure. The easy answer as to why there's more fights, there's one division. You're playing the same team every night. And that, that history gets built up game after game after game like you play you play one team three nights in a row well that hate builds that's why i i used to love growing up the old adams division you know it, it, quebec nordiques would play the canadians and boston bruins i think it was the whalers they play each other like 400 times a year so it just that animosity builds up uh you know it's it's hard the game has gotten away from you play 82 games you only play your division about five times a year, six times, and it's kind of spread out. You play, you know, the Western Conference three times, and that's, you know, what that's two to three times. Uh, you play the rest of your own conference after playing your own divi- your own division a few times. You play so many teams on so many nights that you, it it kind of gets lost. Like, if I played you, Sam, and you slashed me, um, you might get away with it, but I know I'm going to get you that next shift. Or if you slash my best player, I'm going to get you the next shift. Well, now it's you slash me once, I slash you, you slash me. The next game, it's continuous. It's going back and forth. And then the third game, okay, let's just punch each other in the face a whole bunch of times. Last year, you'd slash me one night, and, and then the next night, eh, we're off to Arizona, and we're playing we're playing the Coyotes. And then, you know what, I get into some kind of, I'm going to get that guy, ah, we're off to L.A. the next day. And you don't play those teams again till midway through the season. Now you're playing the same teams over and over and over and over again. And these games on a shortened season are, are, are heightened so much 
that it, it you know, I, I just wish the fans were in the buildings because it would there'd be double the fights this year. Um, I think so, just because of that hate. You know, that imagine that Leafs Habs games, like like mm-hmm. you you wouldn't need much to get them going. But we talked about the fans before. Imagine the fans on steroids playing each other ten times a year. And you know, like it's it's been good hockey. There's been some good games uh, with some physicality, but you know it, you can't compare when it was in our era because there was, like I said, intimidation, retribution, um, crowd uh, energy uh, to you know you to to a player hitting your player. You know I, what I would try to do? I would try and hit other teams' better players to get them off their game. You always want their better players looking for, okay, where's Dum Dum on the ice instead of playing his game. So that's kind of, but then you, the flip side is those, you know, the Kasparitis of the world are trying to knock Gretzky off his game. If Gretz is looking around for Kasparitis, then he's not playing to the best of his capabilities. So a player like me, my job would have been to, to take care of Kasparitis. So Kasparitis, instead of looking for Wayne, he's now looking for me. And if Kasparitis does it again, well, I'd go see the other team's best player and say, hey, you know, Mario, if Kasparitis does one more thing to, to Gretz, I'm going to spear you in the eyeball. Of course, I'm not the best guy to say it because he's about 6'4 and I'm 5'10 and I never got on the ice. But you have guys on the team that would kind of – so there was intimidation. There was kind of like ways of cooling things down. and It would escalate to, to those moments. Um, today, you don't have those players in your lineup. So – you know, uh, let's take a hit. That that uh, hit by Kukinemi on on uh, on McDavid. Uh, you know, KK gives him a little bit of a slash. McDavid comes by later and elbows him in the head. I don't care who McDavid is. Someone on the Canadians bench should have went and bumped in him and gave him a talk. Yeah. And then someone on the Edmonton bench, most probably would have been Cassian, comes back and responds. And then someone on the Canadians bench kind of responds to him. At the end of the day, Canadians just told McDavid, you can't get away with it. Oilers just said, yo, yo, you don't talk to my best player. And then Canadians go, you don't talk to me that way. And then before you know it, this is how the fights used to happen. There's a couple of pieces there that, that are needed in play. There's not, there's too many players in the game today that don't have that mentality. I totally understand, understand the reason why. There's so much science behind it. As a, as a former player that played that role and the entertainment value, I love that role. I love seeing it. Um, I've always loved to get into a fight and hurt the guy, but I never wanted to hurt the guy. If that makes sense. In a fight, in your head, you want to knock that guy out. You want to knock that guy down. You want the crowd to go crazy. But I never want to see that guy hurt. You never want to see that guy hurt on the ground. Um, you do for that brief moment of that gladiator feeling and everyone clapping and your team coming back to victory, but you never ever want to see anybody hurt. The science now we know that he might not be hurt now, but down the road he can be hurt. So I understand why there's less guys in the league right now that do that, but you don't need guys that just sit there and do it. I just think I like when the games get that intense that you almost feel like it's going to happen. That's what the game needs. I don't think you need the fights. You just need the guys to want to compete and to win so badly that you think that it could happen. 
it doesn't for science i don't want it to happen you know for friends that have had head trauma and, and issues i don't want it to happen as a fan i want to sit there thinking that it possibly could happen and once in a blue moon let it happen and hopefully nobody gets hurt but you both understand the why it happened what happened and and there's a positive outcome from it you know someone's going to look at me and pj you're little dumb to be saying you know the positive outcome for people punch themselves in the head i'm like yeah i get it like i understand that part but i'm just saying from a fan uh of the game that grew up loving the game when there were those guys in the game i miss that part a little mm-hmm. okay well there is there's a lot of reports or not a lot but there's a few reports saying um canadian nhl gms actually wanted to try and keep the division around and let fans come back. But uh, obviously that was turned down by the NHL. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, you were talking about it a little bit before, um, but like what type of effect does a coach really have on a team? Because you were saying like the Buffalo Sabres before, like they have a core group of players that have, or might have, you know, like this losing mentality. When a new coach comes in, whether it's with the Montreal Canadiens or with the Buffalo Sabres, like, what type of effect do you think they can really have? Is it about the players or is it about the coach? There's about eight to 10 players per team that are your nucleus. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you have to win them over. Okay. No matter what, there's going to be five to six players on the team that are not going to like you because for many reasons, you're not playing them. They're on the fourth line. They're grumpy. They hate life, whatever. There's five, six players on a team that are just neutral. You know, like my buddies, I would come over from Sweden or Finland and I love the human beings. They're like, ah, I'm happy. Ah, let's, you know, let's go have a Swedish meatball after the game. And <laughs> they're just good human beings. They love the game. They love it. Um, and, and then, you know, you, you got those core players. Like the coach has to win over their superstar players. It's really hard to do, but you have to. So, you know, when I was in uh, in 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 Boston, let's say Robbie Fatorik had to win over Joe Thornton, and there was nights where Joe did not like Robbie Fatorik. And it's important that the other players around that crew control Joe, because if Joe becomes negative, and I'm just saying Joe Thornton, they're just giving it as an example as any team has this, as I talk about their, their nucleus. But for me, I could just explain from experience. If Joe starts to drift, you already have those five, six players that are hating the coach already. But you also have those five, six that are just kind of in the middle. If they hop on to the negative side of things, then your dressing room has, has an issue. Then you have a lot of players that don't like the coach. Then you still have this nucleus that's kind of pulling against a bunch of the other players and the coach is kind of talking to two different teams. And, and that is very common in a lot of, a lot of locker rooms. You know, I, I know one of the situations with John Tortorella in Columbus, yeah. players love him, love him, or they absolutely hate him. It, it's, it's kind of one of the two. It's kind of, he wants to win, but he wants you to win playing his way. And, and it's his way is, is, is work, work, and work. I want that too. But at the same time, there's ways to talk to people differently 
today than you talk to people 20 years ago. And not every kid coming up from Finland or Sweden or Russia is used to being berated a certain way or publicly humiliated. And therefore, you lose those players. So imagine if it's your super... Think of they lost Panarin. Uh, who they lost in the last... Uh, Bobrovsky. They lost Bobrovsky, Panarin. They lost... Um, Dubois. Uh, uh, Dubois. is not doing anything yeah. there right now. He was benched, what, his first week. Um, I'm thinking of the other kid that went... Uh, Duchesne. Shane's another player. Yeah. Uh, these are all players in the last couple of years. They're younger kids that come up and they're raised differently by society and by their surroundings. And they're put into an environment where they're kind of pushed in a, you know, they're pushed and not everyone reacts the same way. And, and I think that's, that's what happens. If those superstar players start to go the wrong way, well, they bring a lot of people with them. And, and then you get what, what happens, you know, and why do some teams, why do the Boston Bruins do well every year? Because their coach and their nucleus are on the same page. And their nucleus, when people don't like what the coach is saying, goes and gets those five, six extra players that are not sure to come on board with them. Yeah, you're always going to have the five, six that are mad. You, you, you always have that. But when you realize that there's 15 that are on board pulling in the same direction, even though they're grumpy or whatever, they tend to get to lean into that system and, and want to be part of it and want to get into the happy group. So it's the job of a coach is so important. Um, it's not so much about coaching anymore. I, I think the players are, are very smart and there's 19 coaches to a team anyways. It's how you manage the players is more important than how you coach them. Do you think that Lion A, a guy who's, you know, probably supposed to be in that nucleus in Columbus. He's because he's a superstar. Do you think do you think there's ever going to be a way that him and Torts can be on the same page? Or do you think that's or do you think he like might get dealt again and it'll just be a, a tough stint for him? I don't blame Torts on this whatsoever. I don't blame uh Coach Tortorella on this one. He's Line A looks like a big lazy, lazy, lazy person. His release is too good. His skill set's too good. Uh, the rumors is that he's, uh, you know, if he can put his Xbox down and concentrate on hockey a little bit more, he wouldn't be in a situation that he's in right now. He's a guy that hasn't been getting better as his career has been going. You can't take away from his release. His release yeah. is, is spectacular. Uh, his reach, his size, you can't teach that. He has that. But you can teach want and will uh, uh, and, and, and that, that compete that, you don't necessarily are born with, but you can at least try and hide it sometimes. He, like, I mean, sorry, fake it, not hide it. You can try and fake it sometimes. He just flat out sometimes is like out on a walk. You know, I'm going to get the groceries. You know, you're being paid a bunch of money to put a little effort into this thing. Uh, and that's what frustrates a coach. You look at a player that has so much talent and you're like, just give me a little bit. If you give me half of an effort, you're going to get 30 goals in your sleep, but half. You just wait for that next bit. You just wait for that next bit. And he hasn't been given it. If two teams are frustrated with him for a guy with that much talent, you know, there's, there's a red flag somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, PJ, how much time do you have here? Cause we could like, we could keep going. If, if you could keep going. Keep going for a bit longer. What, what do we got? We're a little over an hour. Yeah, we're up for now. 
Keep going. I'll shoot a few more questions. Well, yeah. we just uh, just before I guess we, we wrap up, I we would just like to know about your media career a little bit. And um, sure, you know, you, you've worked on TSN six ninety, you've worked on Hockey Night in Canada. Just wondering, even RDS actually, um, you know, how how did you get into those roles, and what made you interested in the media? Well, I was very lucky uh, with all of the positions. Um, it's, I was very lucky considering I, I fell into radio and they let me, they let me burn a few times because it's, you know, I, I was, the radio thing kind of started off with, uh, I never really listened to radio before. The only talk radio I ever listened to before was Howard Stern. Uh, you know, I grew up listening to, you know, your, your, your father, Ted and, uh, you know, rock music and, 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 and pop music back in the day and hits music. And I was never really a talk radio guy. When I went to New York, Howard Stern was on the radio. So we listened to him every now and then. But besides that, I never really listened to a bunch of sports radio. I just wasn't a thing I was ever into. I came back after my career was done and in a, in a bar one night and someone's like, hey, you want to come do a show? And it went from one, two to three to four. And then before you know what, they offered me my own show. And you know, I, I, I was all guns blazing, ready to go to take over the radio world. And, you know, my first few shows, I, it was a three hour show. I was done after like eight minutes, uh, all of my material. I was just, I just, what, but instead of firing me that day and said, thanks PJ, we'll see you next time. Uh, they, 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 they kept me in there and they let me grind it out. And like I said, back to early on in the story about, uh, you know, it's all between the years and getting confidence, like the fighting stuff and the hockey stuff and everything else in life and confidence. I got a little better, learned how to work harder, learned to work better, learned to work smarter. And, uh, that led into some TV stuff. Uh, and then, you know, you, you'll get found, uh, nowadays if, 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 if you can make, uh, make some noise in the right way. Uh, and the funny thing is about all these jobs is in sports, you're hired to be fired. So it, it's funny, like when I got let go from, you know, a couple stations, the, the, the reasoning as to why and what is like, every, you know, everyone wants you to have, a, have an opinion. But as long as the opinion is the same as theirs. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's kind of one of the hard things today. And, you know, so many people that run so many of these companies are, are so worried about what people say on Twitter. You know, like, like going back to what I said about the organizations and the fans, uh, everyone voices are just because this fan in the Rangers uniform says stupid stuff to a Flyers person doesn't mean the general manager of that team is encouraging this guy to say that. This guy's a fan. He has nothing to do with anything. He's allowed to say whatever he wants. I think too many people in the sports business today, they go down and look at Twitter. Oh, no, what are they saying about our what, what did PJ say? What did this say? Instead of the fact that, hey, the fact that this person's actually reacting to something that he said is good. The fact that, you know, or there used to be this ex expression, which I think you threw out the window. There's no such thing as bad press. Tell that to uh, anyone running any of these businesses today. They don't want any bad press. Yeah, They don't want any bad press. So, you know, I had an, um, I'm, I'm doing RDS. I love the opportunity to be the Anglophone speaking on behalf of a bunch of Anglophones uh, for uh, on RDS on French television, it's 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 a blast following the Montreal Canadiens. Who, you know, I always play the the role of uh, against the Canadians, you know. But I, I love the city, and I, I I love to see them 
do well. I just love to see them lose because then everyone gets mad and everyone argues and everyone is, it's, they're all nuts. Everyone's nuts. Like I said about all the fans, they all get into it. So it's more fun on me, but I want them to win the Stanley Cup every year. That's kind of my mentality. Like I, I just, that's who I am uh, with that part of the job. So um, I, it, it's a, it's a great job. You got to understand what it is and you got to find a way to always make yourself different and find ways to make yourself always able to adapt. So would you like, what kind of advice would you, is that like, um, like, is that a piece of advice you would give to Ryan and I who are trying right now to, you know, as you said, make some noise in that, in that industry? It's, it's a real tough industry to get into. And it's, uh, as I spoke to a bunch of people that are trying to get into the industry and some that have been in in the industry. And then once you're out, it's kind of, how do you get back in? You know, you've almost got to reinvent yourself. You got to think of ways that, you know, how many shows are out there? How many people are out there that are in a certain way? Well, how do you make yourself different? Mm-hmm. How do you make yourself remembered? Yeah. You know, that's, you, you, you got to make, you, you can't, you know, it's such a tiptoe line today in the world because there's so many things that are so PC right now that is kind of, so you got to find that line that is a little edgy, but a little stale to stay within the lines. You want to find a way to make something entertaining. Uh, you want to find something that someone's going to remember and want to listen to you again. And it's, it's takes trial. It takes error, but it also takes someone willing to take a chance on you. And that's kind of, you're, you're going to get kicked down. You're going to get knocked down and you're not going to get the jobs, but you got to say to yourself that, you know, I'm gonna, I got to put my time and my due diligence in there to try and make myself better, try and make myself adapt. It's, it's a, it's a tough business to get into, but it's a great business. So the risk is almost worth the reward. Um, but in today's world, I don't care what business you're in. Make sure you have a second and a third thing lined up because the world is crazy right now. So, like, maybe sell that Johnny Manziel jersey you have behind you. I don't I know if you get it. <laughs> you won't get a lot. I don't know if you'll get one. anything. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, you know. So that's kind of like I said. You know, there's it's 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 a great business. It's a real hard business to get in, and once you're in, you got to make the most of it. And um, again, how do you make the most of it? Listen to other people. Take you know, if there's people that you listen to, why do you listen to them? What do you like about them? What can you take from them that you can add it to yourself? Listen to somebody else. What can they, t- you know, you take little pieces of all these people that you listen to and try to put them into your repertoire and, and build the best you that you're capable of, of, of building yourself into. Uh, it, it takes time. It takes experience. But like I said, if you're willing to put the work in, and make the risks. Well, hopefully the sacrifices equal the reward. Fingers crossed. Good luck, my man. Uh-huh. Or you just start drinking a lot. Yeah, <laughs> could do that. A few bottles of rosé at night. Yeah, I, I don't know about rosé, but <laughs> it's all my mom drinks, so it's all we have here. Yeah, well, maybe still, maybe not rosé. Maybe just don't. Maybe maybe just don't ever mention that on the radio again. Just right. say something else. Just say something well, else. Well, I'll just I'll cut that part out when I'm editing this up. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will. 
Yeah, you are. Just say some, just whatever. Just say sound some, say something that sounds hard. Just, just don't say, yeah, I'm gonna get crushed on some some rose tonight. I'm feeling like an animal tonight. <laughs> well, I'll probably have 24 pack of Coors Light or something like that. You know, yeah, a little, 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 little better. But we're, yeah. we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> Well, Look, I, I really appreciate that advice, PJ. That's something Sam and I are uh, we're, we're trying hard to do. Hopefully, after this, we'll uh, we'll send you an episode that we're that we we just released today, actually. And um, I, I think you'll find some, some some parts funny. It's definitely it's unique. It's very very different. Awesome. It's, it's not. Um, I can't think of one thing out there that's that's like it. So awesome. Yeah, we're well, good. Uh, Make yourself the, different. Make get noticed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If this doesn't work out, I got a job at Starbucks, so I could be there for life, and I'll be sad. Yeah. <laughs> You're good. Enjoy it, guys. Enjoy it. PJ, we really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, come on and speak with uh, a few uh, sport media amateurs and youngsters. And uh, uh, This is the second interview in a row that I don't really know how to wrap up, so I'm going <laughs> to pass the torch to Ryan here. <laughs> I really, I, I just, uh, I, I did a pretty good wrap up there. So I'll repeat. Um, yeah, thank, thanks for coming on. We appreciate that advice at the end. We appreciate all the stories you gave us and um, great yeah. stories. Great stories. Well, thanks for having me on second episode. And uh, hopefully, I'll get when you guys get me back on. I will be the the four hundredth and second. Hopefully, it goes out well. So good luck, guys. Oh, it's press box check.